It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a number of people already uh, throwing in their tuppence halfpenny worth on what was announced uh, yesterday. And we're being told by the papers this morning that the country will be forced to endure another winter of COVID-19 restrictions. The government yesterday, as we knew they would, proposed full plans to ease the remaining public health restrictions this uh, Friday. Strict rules remain in place on indoor hospitality. They're going to remain in place for the coming months and it'll be at least until February of next year uh, before people will be fully able to return to the office restrictions on pub opening hours. Now they have uh, been lifted so pub opening hours return to their normal for people getting married numbers at weddings all of the restrictions there have been lifted huge sigh of relief for couples who are getting married in the coming weeks and also good news for the likes of the GAA because attendance at sports events all restrictions around that has been uh, lifted but of course as we know the plan had been that the government yesterday would be announcing that all of the restrictions would be lifted this Friday but of course they were forced to rethink their strategy and that is due to a rise in coronavirus cases and the knock-on effect that it's putting significant strain on our health uh, service. Uh, some of the plans uh, for removing all in, all restrictions for restaurants, pubs and cafes, uh, they have some of the restrictions remain in place. Some of them have been lifted, but nightclubs, they're set to reopen uh, for the first time since the start of the pandemic. But there seems to be a lot of confusion around the nightclubs, which we will talk about uh, on the programme uh, this morning. Now, it was uh, Neffet. They were the ones who insisted that the COVID certificates and that the mask wearing they should all remain in place and should be required for the hospitality sector. They're saying that the COVID passes and the mask wearing should remain in place until at least February. And that's because the way the COVID cases are rising at the moment, they're worried about it and they're saying, we'll take a look at it again, but not until February. So the Cabinet signed off on a plan to allow the reopening hours for pubs. That's going to return to normal. The number of people who can sit at a table has increased from six to ten, but the table service remains in place. And that's something that the Vintners Federation were asking 
they wanted that lifted because they wanted people to be allowed to go back up and sit at the bar counters. That's not going to be um, uh, permitted. It still has to remain at table service but the number sitting at a table is going to increase. Don't know what difference that's going to make, particularly for some of the smaller rural pubs. They probably wouldn't have many tables where 10 people would be sitting at uh, anyway. It'll probably, certainly it'll suit the larger pubs. Crowd capacity limits for outdoor gatherings, anything like a match, any kind of a sports stadium, they've all been completely dropped so they can have 100% uh, capacity. And it was Dr Tony Hoolahan, the Chief Medical Officer, uh, said nightclubs can reopen but only if protective measures were put in place and that does include the use of the COVID cert so at all nightclub doors COVID certs are going to have to be uh, checked. The Taoiseach said some work will have to be done for the nightclub industry to establish how they can reopen safely however he did say that he expected dancing would be permitted and by all accounts you'll be able to dance and you won't have to wear your mask but of course there is some concern among cabinet ministers about the decision to allow nightclubs to reopen, uh, particularly with the case numbers uh, getting so high. And already this morning, one of our listeners says, Patricia, once again, just as the weather starts to get colder, forcing everybody indoors, our hospital numbers begin to rise. The government, in its wisdom, uh, decides to open up and relax restrictions. Thousands of revellers celebrating the opening of many nightclubs this weekend surely will be a perfect venue for the spread of the virus. We'll be back in lockdown for Christmas for sure it'll be a repeat of the disaster from last year says uh, one listener now I know the Taoiseach was asked about the checking on COVID certs and yesterday again and we've had it for the la- across the last week or two people saying that they've gone into various establishments and the COVID certs were not being checked I saw a Vox Pop on the news last night where they seemed they appeared to be trying to stop as many tourists as they could and asking them had they been asked for their COVID certs and it seemed to be a mix some were saying yeah everywhere we go we've been asked for our COVID certs others were saying no haven't been asked um, at all so the Taoiseach was asked about that yesterday that if he goes in to a restaurant, a bar or a cafe and he's not asked for his uh, COVID cert, what should he, what should he do uh, about it? And he says you should straight away, if you go into a restaurant and they don't look for your COVID certs, ask them straight away, why are you not look, looking for them? And he was further pushed on it and he said, you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable, then simply uh, leave. Neffet are also calling for more enforcement on the rules on hospitality because research is showing that some businesses are simply not asking customers. I know the uh, HSC, I'm sure it was the HSC read a report earlier that they went around they were checking restaurants now as opposed to pubs and about 30% were not compliant with the COVID uh, rest- uh, restrictions. Uh, so both Neffet and the Taoiseach saying look, people, enforcement has to um, ha- has to happen. And I know a letter that was sent to the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly by Tony uh, Houlihan he said in this regard, compliance with basic public health measures by the general public and across the sectors. He said that is going to be crucial going forward. He warned, Tony Houlihan did, that the daily COVID cases will increase to a peak of between 2,500 and 3,000 per day, with up to 1,000 people in hospital in in the course of uh, November. He says if this occurs, we can expect a peak of between 800 and 1,000 people in hospital in late November. And then the breakdown of that would be between 150 
150 and 200 of them would need an ICU bed. So they are worrying, worrying uh, figures. Leo Varadkar then at the press conference yesterday was pressed on the full return to uh, offices. It was expected that from this Friday we'd be having full uh, return. He says now... That's not going to happen until next spring. But he is insisting that the government guidance was on a phased return to the office. And he says that is still possible. People can can already and have already started a phased return. He says people going back to the office for specific business purposes, like if they need to have a meeting or if you need to bring employees back in for training or induction days, he said all of that is allowed. But he said employers should facilitate employees if they want to continue working at home. And this is where the divide is already starting because some employers want their employees back in at work, but some workers are saying, look, I'm really happy working at home. Uh, I'm, I'm liking what I'm doing. My productivity is as good as it's ever been. Leave me work from home. And you can already see some arguments are starting between employers and the uh, workers and Dear Varadkar did touch on that yesterday because he made the point that, you know, for some people, they have been working at home since the very start of it. Some, as he said, working with a laptop on a bed and they've been doing that for the last 18 months. And there are, there are a cohort of people who really do want to go back into the office. And he said if that can be facilitated and social distancing uh, can be done, then he says it should be facilitated. So they're really sort of pushing it back over onto employers and employees to kind of work out their own plans. But the one thing yesterday the word anomalies kept coming up particularly when all of the coalition leaders were being asked about the nightclubs and different scenarios in nightclubs and different scenarios in bars they all had to accept yeah we're going to have to look at that again and oh shit there's loads of anomalies and the the dictionary definition for anomalies is something different, abnormal, peculiar or not easily classified. And I think that very much sums up some of the announcements that was made yesterday. And then just out of interest, I did it. I, I took a look back on where we were on this day well yesterday for last year a year ago because there had been another government announcement on the 19th of October a year ago in 2020 and would you believe this day last year we were seeing a rise in numbers pause had to be put on what had already started to be the reopening of the lifting of restrictions and we moved into level 5 restrictions which meant we couldn't travel any further than 5 kilometres from our home. It was announced on this week last year a household could only meet up with one other household. You couldn't do that indoors you had to do it away from your home. They also made the announcement, remember about support bubbles, this was for lone parents and senior citizens and other vulnerable people. They would be allowed to buddy up with another uh, household. Also this week last year the advice was being given to the over 70s and the medically vulnerable to continue to exercise personal caution. They were being advised to still remain at home and to limit their engagement. This week last year only essential retailers and essential services were allowed to open. A lot of shops had to uh, close. The pubs, the gastropubs, the restaurants and the cafes that were opened, they were all told no, you've got to close your doors. You can only offer takeaway and uh, delivery services. The schools and the creches were, were also allowed to remain open. But the big one that was announced this week, last year, was the number of guests allowed at a wedding uh, was to stay at 25 and the 25 was to include the couple and the celebrant. So really they were only allowed to invite 22 people to their wedding. So there's a big change uh, there. And under level five this week, last year, the gyms 
adult amateur sports training, all of that had to stop. And of course, we had public transport only operating at 25 percent capacity. And that was to allow f- to provide essential services for people, uh, for the essential workers to get to work. So we are in a very different place to where we were at this time last year, for sure. Liz says, here we go again on another spin on the COVID roundabout. When will people cop themselves on? And then a listener says, are all Catholics required to go back to mass now? And is it no mask wearing and no social distancing? Well, the social distancing in that you'll, they're allowed 100% capacity inside in the church. So you won't have seats marked off. You know, you can sit here, you can't sit there. And they were spacing everybody out. They're, you're back at a, all religious uh, services are back at 100% uh, capacity. On the mask wearing, it's, it says under social settings, masks are still required. My gut instinct would tell me, yes, you will be wearing a mask inside in a, a church. But again, I imagine, is that going to be an individual one for churches uh, or not? But certainly in a social setting, they're saying people must wear masks. So, yes, I would assume inside in a church. But as for the social distancing, no, the social distancing will be gone because churches are allowed to have 100, all religious um, venues are allowed to have 100% capacity. And as are all Catholics required to go back to mass, I suppose if the church is open and open to 100%, the answer would be uh, yes. 1850 Can I put a quick shout out on behalf of Bantry General Hospital and you know something we've never done this before they are looking for people who have old crutches now in good working order obviously to please could you drop them in to Bantry General Hospital they need them for the injury unit they're having a problem acquiring new crutches for people who attend the injury unit at Bantry General Hospital and in the past they would never take back crutches and how many times over the years did we have people complain about that saying I have a perfectly good set of crutches I used it or my son broke a leg or an ankle or my daughter had an injury and we used them for a couple of weeks and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them but the HSE just did not they had a policy and I think it was a health and safety reason. Because I remember we looked into it loads of times when people were giving out about them because they felt it was such a waste. Some people hated throwing them away. Others just kept them in case they would need them again in the future. But now they're having difficulty getting a supply of uh, crutches. Now, at the moment, we're only hearing about it from ja- Ban- Bantry General Hospital in the injury unit. But I, I take it if it's an issue with the injury unit at Bantry General Hospital, it's probably an issue nationwide as well. So the call has gone out on behalf of Bantry General Hospital if anybody has crutches in the back bedroom or you put them out in the shed or up in the attic and they're in good working order they're especially looking for longer crutches if you could drop them in please to the injury unit at Bantry General Hospital 1850 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, as the three party leaders of the coalition announced the revised reopening plan yesterday, the Taoiseach said, the progress made over the course of the last year is real and tangible and it has to be protected. Our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, attended that press conference yesterday and he joined joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Morning, Patricia. And I suppose that is the big difference here, isn't it? We're in a very different position today than we were with similar COVID cases earlier in the year because of vaccinations. 
Yeah, it is, it is the big difference. I've seen a lot of people over the last 24 hours sharing, you know, this day versus last year or this day versus kind of July of last year and saying that we are opening up when we were closing down in last October at kind of half the number of cases. But of course, this time last year, there was no one vaccinated and we were dealing with a less infectious strain of the virus. So there is that, that high point of vaccination. But there is sort of a worrying question that still hasn't been answered. And uh, by Minister Simon Harris's own admission this morning, NEF haven't been able to provide an answer yet as to why we have such a high vaccination rate and yet such a high incidence rate, one of the highest incident rates in Europe and one of the highest vaccination rates. And I think that's a, a real question. Why are we not following the trend of other countries who are less vaccinated and, and seeing these high numbers? And no one is willing to put forward a reason or, or, or an idea behind it. Well, there's a couple, like, there's a few theories that are going around government buildings. The two most popular being one is our proximity to the UK and the fact that the UK has been opened up a lot more. Obviously, there is, you could see that and make an argument perhaps in the border counties, but it doesn't hold a huge amount of water, I don't think, for the, the likes of Munster or for, you know, Waterford and Cork as to why, you know, couldn't be more further away from, from Northern Ireland and there's not that many travellers in the UK that, that, that is spreading it to that extent. And the other is that we are getting to a point of a sort of waning immunity that a lot of people who got the vaccines earlier are now coming up to that six-month date. And in that respect, we did see the booster campaign for the over-60s confirmed yesterday. Still no word on healthcare workers, which is a little bit strange and when they'll get their boosters. But a lot of other countries are also facing those issues and were indeed ahead of us in the vaccination programme and yet aren't seeing uh, aren't seeing the, the same figures we are. So it's still a, a very open question. There's neither an effort of the government to provide a reasonable answer to. But the only comfort we can take, the people who are testing COVID positive who have been fully vaccinated in the majority of cases they're not very sick No and you can see that in the majority of hospitalisations and ICUs are among the unvaccinated and you do have obviously slight worry at the waning immunity if, if that figure is likely to change but I think if we have a decent booster campaign that should probably stop it so we, we are as you say in a very different position to what we were last year if we had these figures last year it would be a, a lot more worrying Okay, nightclubs will reopen this Friday, but will it be nightclubs as we knew it, John? Well, as the Taoiseach said, to to, to much laughter at the press conference and everything that went on in a nightclub before will go on in a nightclub again. But it is going to be a different experience. You're going to need a COVID cert to get in, for one. So uh, to get access to it, you'll have to be totally vaccinated and to have your COVID cert. There's also still a few question marks. We need to see the sectoral guidelines that they haven't been released yet for exactly how it'll operate. The Taoiseach kind of suggested a few different versions. One was that he would want to see table service in a nightclub, which obviously is very far from the norm, then sort of rolled back on that a little bit and suggested maybe you'll actually be allowed to go to the bar and there will be an exemption for nightclubs. Uh, you will have to wear a mask indoors unless you are eating, drinking or dancing, uh, which covers probably three of the four most common things that people do in a nightclub, shifting being the other one that there was no mention of. Um, it has to be said. I but, did see uh, on a number of, t- of tweets yesterday that you mentioned the shift. Well, I, I, I jokingly said, I wonder if uh, the guidelines for eating qualify for eating the face off somebody. But, you know, look, that's, that's a totally different argument. And I'm not sure that exact wording will be in the sectoral guidelines when they come out. But Neffet did uh, advice was, was to remain social, socially distanced where possible in a nightclub. Well, it, see, it didn't specifically say in a nightclub. The Neffet advice said that in indoor settings, as much as possible, there should be mask wearing, vaccine certs for access and physical distancing. Um, now, it, it's still totally unclear what that applies to. Does it apply to a nightclub? Michael Martin sort of suggested yesterday it wouldn't. You'd be allowed to, to dance and you'd be allowed to mingle and we're not going to see, you know, perspex 
screens every six foot in a nightclub or, or something ridiculous like that. But where it does raise further questions is on uh, indoor big events. So if you're you're selling out an arena, say the three arena in Dublin, for example, um, are you going to have social distancing there? Because they were promised there'd be no cap on attendance. But they were also told that everyone has to be seated. So a lot of these gigs would have been sold based on the usual practice that you have some people standing and some people seating. Now everyone's going to have to be seated and they still haven't clarified whether they'll have to be seated and social distance, which would be a de facto cap on attendance, even if it isn't uh, an actual one. And the one we are getting a huge amount of questions on this morning is to do with social dancing. Now, I don't know if social dancing is a big thing in Dublin, but it's certainly a big, big activity around the country. And for example, there's venues this weekend that will have a live band hoping to go ahead with social dancing. They might have three or four hundred people inside in the ballroom. Can that go ahead? Yeah, that's again, it depends on which regulation it falls under. So there is uh, there are two two kind of lots of it. One is what I've talked about there on the big indoor events that were much more seen as um, much more seen as gigs and kind of classified separately as those big events. There is a separate thing in the, in the advice which says the organisers of the indoor and outdoor group activities should ensure protective measures are in place. Pods of six should apply if there's a mix of vaccinated and unvaccinated people, but there will be no capacity for indoors or outdoors so it, it leaves it very open and very vague and, and to be honest as of right now we don't know we're waiting on guidelines to see if those uh, particular events can go ahead it's certainly been mentioned to me at uh, places across the country a lot of people you know like those sort of dancing events and it, it sort of almost suggests that if it's uh you know if you're kind of uh, practicing uh, practicing dancing or just going you know, <laughs> Training to put it uh, to, to use the wrong word for it. If you would use the sports parlance, you'd be fine. But if you were actually doing it as a show, you'd be under different restrictions. So it, it's very confusing. Yeah, this is where the anomalies that word was bandied about so much uh, yesterday. Table service to remain in pubs, uh, Sean. We had spoken with the Vintners Federation on the program on Monday. They are say they were saying if table service was to remain in place, some of the smaller pubs we we, we lose more of those smaller pubs. Yeah, and there's every bit of that chance. Um, now, they have expanded how many people you can have at a table. So it was six adults at a table. Now it's going to be 10 and a maximum of 15 with children. So you can you can fit more people into those spaces. Um, but it, it will be difficult for some. And it seems, I think the one that I've certainly gotten a lot in the last 24 hours from, from pub owners is that the fact that they are going to be under, by the looks of it, completely different restrictions to nightclubs. Yeah. So if you had a pub downstairs and a nightclub upstairs, Downstairs, you'd have to be guided to your seat, you'd have to stay in your seat, you'd have to be table service only. And upstairs, you might be able to dance up to the bar without a mask uh, and, and not have any of those restrictions. So there, there's going to be a lot of confusion. And then there was others wondering, well, it depends on the license that you have. You know, if you just go from your regular pub license and that changes over to a license at half 12, could you suddenly change the rules? So um, the, the detail yesterday was just incredibly lacking. Okay, somebody said, could you ask Sean, how long are the COVID passports going to last? We thought we were getting rid of them this Friday. February 2022. So they are going out for another another few months that are being extended. The actual legislation that gives power to the COVID search and the masks and uh, social distancing and a lot of that is due to lapse on the 9th of January. But I asked the teacher yesterday and he said that they're going to have to extend that legislation and bring it before the door. Now, the hope is, I mean, maybe it could lapse in January if things go well, but I think by method recommending it out to February 2022, they're trying to get past the winter season before we look at actually getting rid of them and uh, ease the pressure on the hospitals. And any bride or groom getting married this weekend are in the coming weeks and months. Happy days for them. 
yeah, better, much better news for them. So for weddings and religious services, the caps uh, are, are going to be gone. I had a number of really worried people texting me yesterday who had uh, wedding plans for 150 people over the weekend and were wondering if they were going to have to do a last-minute call of the guest list. But no, that's not going to happen. So thankfully, weddings can go ahead and uh, the restrictions that were in place before uh, stay so that you can uh, do the dancing and, and all that sort of stuff that was already in place. So a bit of good news in there. And antigen testing, that's finally going to start to play a part. It is, yeah. Now, it, it's a little bit more limited than I think a lot of people would like, but it is a big about turn for NEFET, who were very opposed to antigen testing up to now. So three main changes that are going to happen. The immediate one is that we're going to start testing close contacts of confirmed cases again, but with antigen tests. So if you're a close contact of someone who has COVID, the HC is going to send you out, I think in the post, five antigen tests, and you'll be asked to do one every second day to ensure that you, if you are infected, you pick it up because this is one of the problems of antigen testing. A PCR is more sensitive and will pick it up earlier in the cycle of having it. But if you are infectious, an antigen test will, will uh, pick it up. So that, that over the week should see you through. The other two changes uh, aren't going to come in immediately. The government is looking for uh, an advisory group to uh, look into them and give a recommendation. One of them is on free testing for people who are going into risky scenarios and, and nightclubs was one of those so that you might be able to avail of a free antigen test before you go to a nightclub to ensure a bit more safety there and that you're not bringing COVID in with you even if you are vaccinated. And the other one actually makes an awful lot of sense is that they are looking at a system where if you can't get vaccinated for medical reasons, then you will be able to use an antigen test to get a COVID pass to go into a pub or an, a, a restaurant or, or a nightclub because up to now, those people have been left in the cold a bit. And other questions coming in. Will you have to wear a mask when you're going to Mass on Sunday? Uh, that is a good question. I haven't actually seen um, whether you will have to wear a mask. I think mask wearing indoors is being retained. So I would imagine you will, even though the attendance caps is uh, is going to be lifted. Yeah, there's there, there's no capacity limits anymore for religious service. But I mean, when they say face coverings and physical distancing will continue to be required in social settings, is a church a social setting? You would imagine uh, it is, yeah? I would, yeah. I would yeah. think so, yeah. yeah. So I'd say that'll okay. come down to, again, the, the, what it's been all along is the size of the church. You know, when we had these restrictions, we had these big massive churches and only 50 people could go in. Now as many as you like to go in, but you're still going to have to keep distance and, and keep your mask on. OK. All right, Sean, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks for Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Sean Defoe, our political editor. One quick text. Hi, Patricia. Teenage discos are happening this Friday night for first years, second years and third years. Why are they allowing these teenage discos to take place? In fairness, with young ones shifting here, there and everywhere, COVID will spread like wildfire. And then my dad can't sit at the counter in his local pub. Some joke. Something needs to be done also about people sharing their COVID certificates with non vaccinated people so that the non-vaccinated can get into places. Go get your own vaccine, says this texter, and get your own COVID cert. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. As part of a six-week trial, the lower end of Thomas Davis Street in Mallow has been pedestrianised every Saturday afternoon with a festival-like atmosphere created by Cork County Council. Many people are enjoying what they're saying is the vibrancy it's bringing to the area. But traders of Lower Davis Street and O'Brien Street are not happy with this pilot project. And Catherine Dunbarry of Barry's Menswear joins me to explain why. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning, and, Trisha. And, and you're welcome. What are you hearing from other businesses? Are they losing out financially because of the pedestrianisation? 
Yes, um, and I can speak for ourselves directly on the first Saturday because of how it was rolled out. We were down 40% in our turnover on the day. We were down 20% on the second Saturday. So on the first two Saturdays alone, we've had an accumulative loss of turnover of 60%. Now, anyone in business knows that when when you have those losses, you will not recover them in the subsequent weeks. When the sales are gone, they're gone. And um, we're running into the Christmas period. We were closed for 20 weeks in this year alone. And, um, you know, the public is very aware of what's going on in terms of supply chain, delivery. So the Christmas shopping had started. And I suppose what we're seeing here is COVID-19, the silver lining, is that, you know, the public at large realise the value of their local towns and villages. And Mallow, with the free parking... And, you know, the people coming, had people coming back into the town and using the town that hadn't been coming for a long time. And that was because we were dealing with an accumulation of management issues over the years that had driven people out of the town. And this is just another one. And Mr. Ray Kirby posted a photograph saying the final nail in the coffin. And that's what he meant by that. We've had 20 to 25 years of the council coming up with ideas and plans for the town and despite submissions and objections from the traders and the businesses of the town rolling right on ahead. And but we have you, the same happening but right now. Uh, but, but Catherine, I thought that the council surveyed the businesses prior to the pilot trial and that the majority were in favour. I thought I read somewhere 8 out of 10 were in favour of it. Yes, indeed, um, Patricia. And I was at the meetings and I was quite shocked, actually, because I had visited with the businesses and a lot of the businesses that spoke to me said they wouldn't have been in favour with it, of it. Now, it was originally piloted as a summer event and part of the outdoor summer initiative that was rolled out by the government in light of COVID. And um, where there was a broad stroke, anyone who was in, you know, said, look, let's give it a go. There was a broad stroke agreement with They understood it to be a summer event. And we just, when we reopened our business on the 17th of May, other businesses didn't open till June. Mm. So we were just trying to get back on our feet post the COVID lockdown. Um, and I suppose when the initial review took place after week two of the rollout, um, I asked the municipal officer doing the review, you know, anyone that was ambivalent about the pedestrianisation, was it marked down as a yes? And she said, yes, it was. So that's not fair recording. You know, if I was ambivalent about it, that's not a yes, it's not a no, it's not a yes, it's just unsure. Yeah, yeah. You okay. know, so, well, well, and let, let me begin. Um, local town council, local county councillor, uh, Mallow based councillor, uh, Pat Hayes. Um, uh, good morning to you, Pat. Good, good, good morning, Patricia. Now, Pat, firstly, do, wet, wet and windy ab- morning. Absolutely. Do, you, do from the council's point of view, do you feel the trial has been successful? The 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 the, the, the pilot scheme. Sorry, Patricia. Yeah. Do you think it's been successful? No, I suppose. Look, the the, the pilot scheme. It's it, it, it was initiated, I suppose, way back in in whenever May or sometime when 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 it was it was meant to be uh, run as a pilot scheme in the summer. So I suppose I, I think it's it's the timing was was probably wrong, you know uh, it, it should have been it should have been run maybe you know in July, August time, and I do feel I suppose there are different strands to the whole pedestrianisation and and to the whole scheme, and I suppose one of the strands was you know to bring 
more footfall onto the street with, with entertainment and, and, and... But surely not at the expense of the businesses? Absolutely not. And I suppose, look, and, and that was not the intention. So I, I, I think that, um, generally speaking, you know, when there's a festival uh, in town, it, it doesn't really... Uh, it, it doesn't really boost business. Um, and, and generally speaking, it will take from business. And I suppose, look, what we have to do is we have to take the results from this pilot scheme. We have to analyse them, you know, and, and see where it's going to go forward. But, but in the meantime, what can you do for the businesses that can clearly display that they've lost money because of this? Yeah. So I think that um, I, I, I probably feel that, you know, after maybe four, three or four weeks, um, you know, when when uh, if businesses were suffering losses, um, which which they were, you know, I think that um, it, it, we 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 requested, you know, that we if we could move it uh, possibly to a Sunday, but unfortunately, due due to planning regulations, it takes six weeks to get a road closure, and obviously, you know, we're we're only so many weeks away from Christmas. It wouldn't be feasible or possible to apply. For a new road closure to move it, you know, from Saturday. All right, and I can, I, I can see. Could I interject I, back you, in you here? Can, you can, you yeah, can, Catherine. I can see from uh, some from local people saying that they're they've really enjoyed it and it's been fantastic addition to 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 the town. Yeah, I suppose, um, Patricia, that's the key here. You see, pedestrianisation it, it it doesn't suit everyone, you know, and and certainly. You know um, the people, the entertainment. Look, and you have to give credit to you know the likes of um, Keith Woodgate and 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 you know some and, and some of the. Well, they're just they're trying to add vibrancy to the town. Yeah, okay, let, let, let yeah. Catherine come back in, Catherine. Yes, I and I I fully agree that there has been a feel good factor for the town. But I and I've asked this question at the municipal district at any of the meetings. What's the primary objective of this? Now we have four point seven million of a budget to be spent on municipal space in the town, which would be absolutely fantastic. We'll have municipal spaces down in the park. We'll have a BMX thing with the beautiful river walk, all linking into the castle, the new playground. So they're municipal spaces, and if we want to have a festival. That's the space that should be used for festivals. If we want to create an atmosphere, a municipal space and a good atmosphere for the trading life of the town, that is a completely different thing. And there's different building blocks that need to be put in place to make that viable for the businesses of the town. And I've said this, like there's a disconnect between what is required, you know, for the economic life of the town and what's required for the entertainment and the vibrancy of the town. They're two completely different okay, things. And you're, you're looking for a reduction in rates? Oh, absolutely. I mean, is, down 40% on the Saturday. Is that a possibility, Pat? Well, I, I certainly would support anybody that has lost uh, revenue. Yeah, I, I can see, you know, I think that, um, look, if you've, if you're staff employed and if you've, you've got your rates and your rent, your insurance and, you you, you know, Saturday, Saturday is look a big trading day for any business. And it's I, the I, main trading day of the and town, I would, Pat, I, yeah, I, and I, it holds up business for and the And is, is it happening, is this last Saturday the last Saturday? No. I don't think so. And the other thing that I have to put is out there, here is, there, is that they have a Saturdays. review meeting on a Thursday. So that's very strategic because if you have a review meeting on a Thursday, well, it's way too late to contact people who've been paid up to bring entertainment to the town on a Saturday to pull the Saturday. We've asked from the very first Saturday 
to have a proper go back to the table on this, have a very good discussion about it. And, you know, they got it wrong the first Saturday. Oh, dear. But we're down business. But now let's try this the second Saturday. Oh, dear. That didn't work either. Okay, and now let's try the next Saturday. Okay, I mean, it's insane stuff. There's two, there's two more Saturdays to go, Pat, is there? On yeah, the six weeks. I, there's two more to two go. Two more to go. Um, yeah. Okay. And the municipal district, you know, is insisting that these two be, be outside. They've received all the objections. They've had um, representation on the street when they were on the street. And this was after week one, week two, and they insist on continuing with this, despite the losses to the business. Okay. You know. All right, but Pat, you, you would be up for a review, for certainly a review or a rebate oh, on, re- on rates. Okay. Oh, I certainly would, yeah. All right, but they, people are saying, I hope that the two weeks are going ahead. My kids are really enjoying it. Okay, listen, I've got to leave it there. Uh, f- uh, thank you for that, uh, folks. Catherine Dunbarry of Barry's Menswear and also uh, Mallow-based County Councillor Pat Hayes. 1850-333-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Actually, somebody was on to us yesterday asking, was the Scarecrow Festival in Lep uh, going ahead? And I looked into it and, and it is. And uh, it's actually kicked off on Sunday. It ra- runs from the 17th of October right through to the 31st. So right across this week and right across uh, next week. And I'm told that somebody from the festival was on to us this morning to say the Scarecrows are still being put up because the judging for this year's Scarecrow Festival is actually taking place on Saturday. So to anybody working on the Scarecrow, get it up please for the judging on Saturday. But they're welcoming people to come along, come to LEP, bring the children, particularly next cross next week when the children will be on mi- mid-term to take a look at all the wonderful Scarecrows. I've seen some photographs up online. They look incredible. Uh, but because they've had rising COVID cases, all indoor events, unfortunately have had to be cancelled as part of this year's LEP Scarecrow Festival but the outdoor part of it which is where the bulk of the festival is to have the Scarecrows and for people to see the Scarecrows they're all going ahead but the indoor events have had to be cancelled unfortunately but good luck uh, to everyone I'm actually down in West Cork next week so I'm looking forward to spending time wandering around the lovely LEP village looking at all of those Scarecrows and just some breaking news in the Queen has had to cancel her trip to Northern Ireland uh, today she's reluctantly accepted medical advice to rest for the next few days and that's a statement in from Buckingham Palace and that's the famous event in Northern Ireland for Michael D. Higgins isn't it? There you go the Queen after all of that now due to ill health is not attending Okay some of your thoughts coming into us Anne on fake certs Anne says I feel the issue of fake certs really needs to be tackled people are using certificates that are not theirs they're, they're not being asked for ID to prove who they are this is a big big problem so it isn't just good enough to arrive at the door or someplace show, show your COVID cert Anne says they also need to start asking people for photo ID to prove that the name on the cert belongs to the person who's actually carrying the cert. John in Carrigaline says this great government that we voted into power have a lot to answer for. People seem to forget the amount of lives that have been lost in 2020 because of bad decisions. The COVID numbers are rising and yet they make the decision yesterday to open up this country as if COVID has gone away. It, I, John in Carrick Alliance feels it's the government who's driving COVID. Bad decisions. Uh, we're all in this together like sheep. Bah, says John in Carrick Alliance on his text. Somebody else says lockdown after Christmas for certain. We'll be back to square one. Jackie in Kenturk wants to know, are dressing 
dressing rooms and showers going to be open at all sports uh, venues. John Paul was telling me the gym that he attends their showers and dressing rooms are back up and running uh, but I don't know is Jackie talking about it from say a GAA or a local soccer club's uh, point of view because we know all uh, for sporting events now there's a lifting on the numbers certainly for outdoor attendance but is the knock on of that the dressing room and showers are open anybody involved with any local GAA rugby or soccer club can you tell me please I'm assuming it'll be up to individuals themselves individual clubs to decide whether they're going to open up the dressing rooms or showers or not. Hi Patricia says this listener could you tell me please will trick or treating be allowed this year for Halloween? Well would you believe trick or treating was spoken about at the press conference yesterday? Hey, Gabby, I got the from the Irish Independent. Can I ask about children? We've been hearing obviously a lot of um, <coughs> caution or concern with schools as well. What does it mean for trick or treating? Can children go trick or treating at Halloween? So children's behaviours, you know, children will continue to play and enjoy themselves. That's our advice to children. Go and enjoy themselves and, 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 and go and engage and so on like that. I mean, children, you know, and there's various models that NEFIT, or NEFIT will apply here. Obviously, there has to be, as I say, generally within the general population, um, we have to have intelligent behaviour and just have to, to keep an eye on ourselves, as, as a, and particularly the adults. Politician's answer, isn't it? Do we take it from that that they're allowed to trick or treat? I would take it that they are. Uh, just be careful with them. I think that's the message from the the shock. Hi, Patricia. Could you clear something up for me, please? Are vaccinated and unvaccinated people allowed into the same venue for social dancing? That is from uh, Ellen. Uh, I would say no because the requirement for the EU digital COVID uh, certificate, which is either for people vaccinated or are have recovered from COVID nineteen, will remain in place for all indoor hospitality and all events. So social dancing uh, will be, will fall under indoor hospitality and events. So no, the people will have to have their COVID certs checked. The way uh, they thought it was going to be would be from Friday the COVID certs would be gone but as we know after the announcement yesterday that's to remain in place and now it will, the COVID certs will, will be remaining in place until next February at the very earliest before they look at removing the COVID certs. So no uh, Ellen if you're unvaccinated and you don't have a COVID cert then you're not going to get into social dancing. Hi Patricia, our pub's back to normal hours from uh, Friday yes all back to the normal opening uh, hours Hi Patricia, this virus is now going on for about two and a half years and it's not getting any weaker and it certainly hasn't gone away. It's here forever. No, Make no mistake about it. We need to just live with it. Everybody should keep their own immune systems at its best with vitamins, etc. Try to live our lives. We're only here for a short time and that's eventually I think when this wave goes, but it will be, I think it'll be into the springtime. Uh, it'll then become uh, almost something like season, a little bit like the flu. I mean, if you look at the flu, the annual flu that crops up every single year and I heard yesterday the first recorded case in a laboratory in Dublin from somebody, I don't know if somebody's in, in hospital or somebody attended their GP, but the first case of the flu for this year has been recorded in Ireland. But that flu comes from the original pandemic back over 100 years ago, the Spanish flu. The remnants of that is still there and, and crops up every year. Will it be the same 
time for COVID. Yes, absolutely, uh, it will. Are the clocks going back this weekend? No, they're not. They're going back the following uh, weekend. And uh, John from Roscommon regularly texts the programme. He's working out in McCroom. Says, morning, Patricia. It's not going to work with the nightclubs opening. There'll be hundreds going through the doors of most nightclubs. Most nightclubs can hold over 500 people. You take the likes of Copperface Jacks in Dublin. They hold over a thousand people. You've got big clubs in Galway, in Cork and in other cities. Who's going to check every single person going through those doors every night that the nightclub is open? The cases are going to go through the roof. You can only have 50 at a funeral at 100 at a wedding. We're doomed again like last year. Another lockdown is on the way. Well, so many people are saying that because so many people are pointing to what happened in the UK. They opened up all their nightclubs number of months ago now at this stage and their figures they 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 had nearly 50,000 the other day their figures are certainly gone uh, through the roof and people are fearful uh, fearful about that but you would just hope with the over 90% vaccinated well you can still get COVID the hope is uh, John that you just won't get very sick just by the way on your piece about the funerals and the weddings those numbers have been lifted the religious service which includes weddings can proceed without capacity limits but all other protective measures remain in place so actually when I read that all other protective measures remain in place Place. That's the answer to the listener earlier saying do we need to social distance and wear a mask inside in uh, church. All of the other protective measures are social distancing and mask uh, wearing. So when you go in uh, to Mass on Sunday, yes, you will be required to wear your mask and to do social distancing. But the, f- the numbers for funerals and weddings, uh, they're gone. There's no, there is no limit anymore from Friday on the numbers that can uh, attend. And Michael by WhatsApp says our big get out day on October the 22nd has been thrown into confusions and a shambles and the blame rests fairly and squarely on the shoulders of the 8% of the unvaccinated people in this country. We have a record 92% of people vaccinated now. Yesterday we had 2,399 new cases, 473 people in hospital and 74 in ICU. Now 65% of those in hospital are not vaccinated. 75% of those in ICU are not vaccinated. These are absolutely Absolutely shocking statistics. And they are when you think that those figures are coming from just 8% of the population. I have to agree with you on that. Anyway, I would say again to those not vaccinated, please, please go out and get vaccinated as there is no doubt that it reduces the amount of fatalities it reduces the amount of hospital beds taken up especially the ICU beds it protects the community where you live those with serious illnesses and above all it protects yourself had they been vaccinated we would have had 50 more ICU beds and a further 250 beds approximately available for seriously ill patients in hospitals if we hadn't this spike we would be back to next to normal on on this Friday, October 22nd. And instead, we're facing another Christmas lockdown. Thanking you. That is from Michael, 1850-333-103. And can I just give you a couple of texts that have come in with regard to trying to get an appointment with your GP. Now, I don't know because two texts have come in almost one after another with a similar story. 
So I don't know if this is common or not or are a lot of people struggling to actually get in and have a face-to-face appointment with your GP. And I'm assuming this varies from doctor surgery to doctor surgery. A text, Patricia, have to text you, re doctor's treatment of patients were being fobbed off with a COVID test. It's my grandchild. Little three-year-old was sick, had a slight cough. The doctor said, no, can't see that child until after the test results from a COVID test please. Covid test either had to go to Dunmanway or Douglas to have the test done. We've been told if you're sick go to your doctor. What are the rubbish? Now the government have opened nightclubs etc so the doctors can relax and hide behind Covid. Lots of places are using Covid. I know of places for example that kept toilets closed after they were allowed to open. They are talking about people drawing pandemic patients but some doctors are charging 40 euro for a phone chat. They should close their surgeries because because they don't want people coming in. And then you've got some people, uh, some uh, p- some of the secretaries chatting to you on the phone or through the doors as if we're not human. We've been spoken down to by the people that are supposed to be the healthcare workers. I have family and friends who will now not go to a doctor since COVID for this very reason, saying it's of no use uh, going there because guess what? You'll only be sent for a COVID test. I didn't believe them until today, Tuesday, uh, when my grandchild needed to see a doctor. It's a total disgrace. If you're old and don't have transport or can't book a test online, then God help you because you won't get in to see a doctor. And then Jim was on to say, Patricia, when was the last time you got in to see your doctor. The reason I'm messaging is my wife had a hospital appointment lately and she now needs to discuss with her GP the results from that hospital appointment and when and how they're going to do something to help her with the pain that she's currently in. She tried to get an appointment with her own GP and she was told she would have to wait until the 4th of December but she was offered a junior doctor in the practice if she wants to go in in three days time but she has so much trust and she wants to see her own GP. Do you have to die first or suffer the pains for another six weeks? Maybe seeing God first, maybe easier. Oh Jim, don't say that. Ah, yeah, I, I would suggest go see the junior doctor because you, you know, at least you can have a chat with the junior doctor and maybe also make the other appointment to see the GP uh, on the 4th of December because hopefully the junior doctor in the practice, you know, will have all of her case studies, will have all of the information coming from the hospital appointment. But you don't want her in pain for sure. You don't want her waiting until the 4th of December. But I'm just wondering, are others having similar difficulties trying to access their GP to get in? And I know the telephone consultations can work really well if it's something you just want to check. But sometimes people want to go and sit and eyeball their doctor and really have a good chat or people finding it hard. 1850-333-103, lines open. C103 Jobs. A warehouse operative is required for work in Little Island. CVs please to McGrath at pfh.ie. Self-erect crane driver with radio remote control is required for Cork City. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Part-time bookkeeper required for farm and industrial spares. That's in Newbury in Mallow. CVs to sales at technicnic.ie. And a childminder wanted for a 14-month-old in the child zone home. It's in the Kerry Pike area. Trina 88 at hotmail.com uh, is the email address. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go 
to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The National Broadband Plan will result in 75,000 fewer homes than expected being connected to the high-speed network by the end of next year. year. That news was delivered recently to the Committee on Transport and Communications and joining me a member of that uh, committee that's Cork-based Senator Jerry Bottomer. Good morning to you, Jerry. Good morning, Patricia. And, 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 and can I say congratulations? I haven't spoken to you since your induction to the Hall of Fame. Well deserved and congratulations. You are very kind. Thank you very much indeed. Now, as part of the committee, you went out on a bit of a field trip yesterday to Wicklow, invited out by the National Broadband Plan. What did you learn on that field trip and have you a better understanding of why they're behind? Well, it was a field trip in, in every sense of the world because we were, first of all, at the National Broadband Office in, in City West, and then we went out to Blessington um, to, to, to look at the work being undertaken uh, in the context of the Blessington deployment area where the you know the line terminal uh, to see the ongoing construction of the chambers, the poles, the overhead cables. Uh, and it was fascinating from a number of perspectives. One is that the putting up of the poles was done in advance um and then secondly in 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 the context of 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 the the actual putting the fiber up was was actually very interesting as well from this perspective is that it it takes a bit of work it, it isn't as simple and as straightforward as as we might think um so if you could imagine a straight line and you're putting the fiber on the pole then suddenly you meet an issue and a blockage and then come back a bit patricia and if you're going into the, the underground chamber, um, they encounter around eight blockages per kilometre, um, and that causes severe delay. In addition to that, then, there is the issue of surplus capacity of the ducting, and, and, and I haven't got all the, the terminology, so you'll, you'll accept my... But did they, did they not know that before they started? In some cases, no, because they were, in, 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 from my understanding, in their work with AIR, uh, they were told there would be capacity surplus, but there might necessarily be there. Uh, and that's, that's part of what is the issue. But I suppose the context for us here in Cork is that, you know, there will, there will be uh, a commitment to 314 million of new high fiber, new high speed fiber network, uh, which will bring significant enhancement of life to all of us, whether we're working from home or whether we're working in, 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 in the workplace or in our education settings. Um, if you just take the example of Cork, and I asked a specific answer about Cork yesterday, like there are now 4,400 premises in Caroline that are completed, ready for construction. And, and build work has commenced in the next phase in, in the Middleton area with 8,700 premises. Um, and, that, and that then allows for the construction uh, of, of, of other parts, and, and, I, and I'm told that you know this this will enable areas like Yall and then in parts of, of, of North Cork to be to be ready. So it, it is it is from yesterday. You asked me about the learning from it. You know, the, the team in the field. There's a huge size and scale that I don't think many of us recognised um, with complexities. But in saying that, let me give you a figure. A NBI must lay 1.4 million new poles. Um, and and the company has has physically you know surveyed those routes walking so that that 1.4 million uh, poles will be erected with license agreements with local authorities um, and and it is slow 
It is behind schedule. We're all crying and craving for it. Well, it's just, it's very frustrating on families that are living in rural areas who have waited so long for this broadband plan to be rolled out. And I think now more than ever, particularly with the pandemic, you know, more people opting for remote working. You can't do remote working unless you've got reliable broadband. And that is why government has signed the National Broadband Strategy and Plan to deliver, you know, fibre to the home ensuring that we can have, you know, all of us connected. Um, That is an important thing. 1.1 million people will get access to high-speed broadband uh, stretching across, I think, it's 96% of the country. It is about ensuring that we start at the survey and end with the connection, uh, the the, the different points in the point in in between. Uh, And and this morning, uh, Kirana Hobin is in the department of the department is in the communications, sorry, is in the social protection community and rural development committee, discussing broadband as well. So it it is about ensuring that we deliver. It, It is about putting in place a plan to recover from last ground. But and I don't say this as a government representative, but. I say it as somebody who's on the committee, who was critical of, of broadband Ireland in the past, but there, I, I got a huge sense from yesterday that there is a willingness and, and, and an awareness uh, of, of the delay and of the need to, 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 to deliver. Um, the contract, you know, is, 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 uh, is, is, is over a 25-year period in terms of the, the overall contract, but we're looking at 2026 here for, for the completion of, of, of this phase of the National Broadband Plan. Uh, and I suppose... From from my perspective, there are 30 deployment areas in the country. There are, you know, a, a need, as you said, to ensure that the premises that are under construction now uh, are delivered. Uh, and by the end of this year, National Broadband Ireland have forecast that around 60,000 homes will have been passed and will be able to connect the network. Uh, and there are 270 staff employed directly, 900 contractors working here uh, and yeah look Patricia I'm not here to defend or to, 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 to support it's just disappointing it's just really disappointing and, and the, is COVID being blamed? Well COVID is part of it I suppose in fairness because of what's happened in terms of the in terms of the in terms of the the, the actual uh, pausing of work the actual challenges faced then by by, by, by I suppose people uh, contacting COVID contact tracing and, and all of that that is associated with that. The, the, the important point here is that, and, and, and it is because of, of, of the site visit yesterday that you recognise the scale of what's to be done and the complexity in the context of the tree trimming to ensure cables can be placed in overhead poles, the remediation of ducting, the, as I said, the, the eight blockages per kilometre, the, the coordination of, 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 of all the crews and, and addressing the many issues. But I think my, my sense from yesterday is that NBI have an awareness that people have expectation that there is a need to address the delays, um, and and I suppose that that's down to that's down to COVID primarily. But we can't use COVID as the excuse for everything. Okay, but they're uh, they're and, trying and, their best. I think is is really yeah. And I suppose the sense you got from here, yesterday. The key point here was that 2022 will see, I believe, uh, an up an upscaling, uh, an acceleration of the network rollout uh, to ensure that delays that we have experienced and the disappointment you expressed um, are, are, are overcome and are met. I suppose for me, the, the, the important point here is that we are committed to the National Broadband Strategy. We're committed to ensuring that 
we are the most connected country in the world. It's just going to take time. And it okay. will take time. And All I right. And Denise, Denise in West Cork says, just on the national broadband rollout, NBI seem to be only concentrating on rural towns. What about those of us who live, say, 10 miles or more away from these towns and are right in the heart of the countryside? Will we be the very last to wait to get connection? Well, I haven't got the, the specific answer to the question in terms of in terms of connection. But, like, if you look at parts of, of, of Cork that are being connected, like you have, you know, Clash, Ballydaly, Auburn, Whitechurch, you know, Middleton, Carolina, except their urban areas. But there, there, there are other parts of, the, of, of, of Cork that, that do have, you know, broadband connectivity. And there are gaps, and we accept that. And, and there is a need to ensure that we work a plan to, to, to mitigate the disappointment, to, to, to upspeed the connectivity. Um, and, and I'm not here to defend, or, to, or as I said, but I'm here to say that this is a rollout that will take time. There are there is a need to put in place remediation, you know, in terms of, 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 of upscaling the delivery. But for me, what I'm excited about here is that there, there is accessibility and transparency with NBI, with National Broadband Ireland. Uh, they, they have committed to coming to the committee, to meeting with us, to working with us. Uh, yes, there will be people who will be disappointed. The contract is future-proofed. Um, to ensure that we will have it not go beyond cost and that there will be delivery. And and there are checks and balances in the system, and we see it in the okay. committee yesterday and today. Uh, and I suppose, for me, it is about ensuring that we, we hold into account, that we deliver upon it, uh, and that from COVID that we learn that we do need connectivity. But I suppose in, in Cork, as I said, there, there are 78,000 houses, our premises now, uh, you know, in, in the intervention area, which is... 29% of all premises in the county, uh, and we've 314 million to be connected, to be invested in Cork under the National Broadband Plan. And we have made pro- progress in Cork. Okay, just, um, it just can't and it come, will take time. It just can't come soon enough for a lot of people, especially now that people have been told that they can work, work from home uh, until the springtime. Uh, just, by the way, before I let you go, uh, Mike has been on saying, while well, you've got Jerry on the line, would you ask him, please, this is to do with the announcements made uh, yesterday as he's part of the government. What does he think of nightclubs being allowed to open on Friday night and yet there's still a question mark about social dancing not being allowed to go ahead? Now, I don't know if you're a nightclub man or a social dancer, uh, Jerry, but there's a <laughs> A lot of anomalies there and this is the one the glaring one because the social dancing will have a live band and we're told under the new guidelines that for a live band you've got to sit down and the social dancers want to get up and dance. Yeah and, and that is that is a fundamental issue and I know that many people have been on to me about that and I know that social dancing in, in West Cork in particular is very strong and, and very was very strong and very live before COVID. I, I suppose Patricia the answer I would give you in that case is, is that two things. One is there's a meeting today with Minister Catherine Martin, uh, who's the Minister with Responsibility, with uh, the Forum and the Tishuk's Department to, to work out the protocols with the sectoral agreements in terms of, of what we can and can't do. There is a huge need, and I accept the point that you've made, and you used the word anomalies, that there are anomalies uh, in, in what's now becoming a new living with COVID world. Um, and And there is a need for us to understand that that has to be worked out. I would make the point to your listeners that this morning uh, we are reopening, uh, not closing. And in the past, you would have had a conversation with me and others about do we open, do we close? Now we're reopening with caution, mindful uh, that there's a reservoir of the infection around us. Um, The pandemic isn't over. Um, I would encourage people this morning... Uh, who are not vaccinated to get vaccinated. 
I would urge all of us uh, to be vigilant and to be conscious that we must continue to be safe. There's an element here, Patricia, that many of us need to focus on, is that enforcement is taking place. There were 45,000 inspections since last May. There's, a, a, I think, a 3% non-compliance. The majority are, way compl- are very compliant. There's a level of, 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 of self-enforcement that we must do uh, as business owners and also as individuals. Yeah, because I know the Taoiseach was asked about that uh, yesterday at the press conference. You know, if he goes into a restaurant or a bar or a cafe and he's not asked for his COVID search, because anecdotally we've been hearing for quite some time that people are walking into premises and they're not being asked uh, and others are very vigilant about asking. Uh, But the Taoiseach was making the point, we need to call that out and we need to say to the restaurant, why aren't you asking me for my COVID cert? Yeah, I mean, just to give listeners a figure, 3% were found to be non-compliant with, with again, around 29% needing greater compliance measures. So the COVID pass is important, Patricia. It, it, it is a passport. It isn't a passport to, to bad behaviour, but it's a passport to be able to do things that we normally could do, like go for a meal or go into a pub, or, 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 as an example. And I would make the point that there are anomalies as you said, that need to be worked out, and they will be today with Minister Martin, with the with the with the the, the, the industry who will be meeting. Uh, we are reopening with caution, and and my fundamental point here again is is two things: one, hand sanitisation, the face mask things that we take for granted maybe now, and that in some cases perhaps shops or restaurants and bars are not putting in the wipes, not putting in the the hand sanitizer and we're becoming a bit careless with the face masks in some cases. And social distancing. And social distancing, yeah. and, and we need to be careful in that. I suppose the other point I would make to you is that we, if you look at what's been successful, our vaccination programme has been successful. Yes, and, and Simon Harris had a very good video on Instagram last night where he said the age group from 16 to 29, there's 850,000 people in that age group. Of that 850, 155 are not vaccinated. Now, I'm not having an argument or a row about vaccination with people, but vaccination works. We've seen it works. Could you imagine if we didn't have the vaccination programme where we'd be today, you'd be on your programme talking about another lockdown? Well, I I mentioned that at the start of the programme. I looked up where we were on this very same day last year and we were just going into level five restrictions with the closure of all the non-essential shops. We're in a very different uh, place today because of vaccinations. OK, I've got to wrap it up just quickly before I go. Somebody says, could you ask Jerry, please, on the broadband issue, can they run the broadband through the ESB wires and the ESB, the existing ESB poles? They're working with air. They're working with no. They're working on their own in terms of the over overhead because it's it's a different type of it's with. It's that's with why air. that's why the yeah. one point four million poles you yeah, spoke about correct. had to yeah. be put up. Okay, yeah. all right. We'll yeah. leave it there. Listen, Jerry. Thank you for that. Thanks, are, you, are you going jazzing at the weekend? Well, I I I will definitely be going to the final of the Lowells on Saturday night because okay. I'm a I'm a good Greyhound supporter and I'll 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 hopefully see some of the jazz. But I I have to be honest, Patricia. I I. I there is an element of caution with me and, and I'm not <laughs> trying to put people off, but I will go out and about, yeah. And I, but I, I think we all need to just try and live life again with a new normal. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. The new and normal. if you feel uncomfortable somewhere, just move on. But I would make one appeal, if I can, I know you're under pressure, I would make an appeal to business owners to check for the COVID cert, to restock the, the hand, hand sanitizer, sanitizer. And, yeah. and to all of us then to follow the social distancing, wear a mask, wash your hands, 
and, and stay safe. It is important that we stay safe. Okay. But it is also important that we, we try and live a new, a new normal because this virus hasn't gone away. OK. All right, Jerry. we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Senator Jerry Bottomer, 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text your WhatsApp to 0862 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. This is reacting to the piece that we did earlier about the lower Lower Davis Street in Mallow that's been pedestrianised for six weeks and it was the council's intention to do this. Feet on the street is what the festival is called. called. And a lot of parents uh, and adults were loving the idea of this festival atmosphere that's been out on the streets but as we heard uh, from Barry's menswear from Catherine Barry joining us on the programme on behalf of other business people in Lower Davis Street and in Fair Street in Mallow they're losing out and they have evidence that they've lost out on businesses because of the pedestrianisation. Well Councillor Jared Murphy has sent in a text saying I was on Davis Street in Mallow last Saturday says Jared and Gros, sorry and there was a great atmosphere with a very big crowd compared to what would normally be there on Saturday afternoons the entertainment and the local food and the craft stands all went down really well. It is true that the first week didn't go well, but I think the changes that were needed are being made. This is about creating, he says, a positive buzz and bringing people into the town. The great new playground at Manor Castle is also going very well and I hope the street on the feet pedestrianisation, as they've been calling it, will do the very same and that's from Councillor Gerald Murphy and others saying similar saying I've been in Mallow the last number of Saturdays it's fantastic to be able to bring my children great atmosphere on the street and someone else says I actually thought that the shops were doing well I felt that they seemed busier than on other Saturdays well that's not unfortunately what the business community are telling us and that the shops are actually uh, telling us okay I'm going to try this instead and see if Crossy uh, can join me who's taking part in pulling with my parents Uh, good morning Good morning, Crossy. Good morning. Fingers How are you? crossed. Celebrity pulling with my parents. But there's an interesting twist in your pulling with the parents in that uh, it isn't your parents who are helping you out tonight. Yes. Yeah, so um, my mum will be quite shy. And um, I've did this for years of it and said, come on and do this radio thing. Come on and do this TV thing. And she's done it begrudgingly. And then this time I was like, do you know what? No, it's OK. I won't do it. And then the producers came to me and they're like, do you know anybody else that would be up for doing it? So um, I like I know Elaine Crowley really well, and I said, Elaine, would you do it? And she was like, I'm not old enough to be your mother, and that literally started a row between the two of us. <laughs> so um, I was like, oh, hang on a second. I was like, I know uh, Mary McAvoy and Eunice McMenamin really well, which are Biddy and Fidelma from Glenrow. So um, met met Mary for a coffee, and she was like, absolutely, it'll be great crack. And then we text Eunice, and then she was delighted. So the three of us kind of were like. Uh, Gino, Fred and Gordon Ramsay going around Ireland uh, for the whole summer. It was just fantastic. It really was. And of course, Biddy and Fidelma, Mary and Eunice, it's their first time on screen together in over 20 years. Yeah, so when people are watching the show tonight on RT2, they won't, they, like, they won't know that, that these guys, you know, it actually ended, Glenrow ended 20 years ago in May this year. That's how long it's been off the screen. And the two guys haven't been on, they haven't done anything. I know there was a Glenrow documentary a while ago. They weren't in it. So this is extra special for anyone who ever grew up or watched Glenroe every Sunday night because 
I turn into interview mode for all of Ireland. I ask them questions. I'm chatting to them about that. So they're trying to help me out. They take my phone off me. They take take all my dating apps off me for about a month. And it's them on the dating apps, chatting to whoever. And it's just because they're in a, they've been in relationships for years. They've mm. never done the dating, the dating apps. So having to kind of sit them down and go through like a teacher going, this word means this, this word means that. If someone says this word, block them straight away. If someone says this, well, maybe put them on a different pile. So at the start, they were a bit like, uh, oh God, this this is a bit mad. This is a bit crazy. And by the end of it, they're going, give us the, give us your phone there and let us have a play with it and see who's on. So, and, di- and of course, the big burning question, did they manage to find love for you? They did. And Ooh. they got to go on the... De- so I can't tell you what happened okay. at the end of it. But yeah. I do go on two dates and the two guys are in my ear throughout the whole date. And the dates don't know that they're in my ear. So everything I'm saying... It's them on the date. So basically, they went on a date with me, but the people who I went on a date with don't know about it. And, and so you've got Mary Nunes saying, ask him this, ask him that. <laughs> yeah. oh. oh. And were, you, were you uncomfortable with anything they were telling you to say? Oh, I'm telling you, they, they are characters. Let me tell you, they are characters. Um, those 20 years of not being together on TV has all boiled up to to tonight and you get to see what Eunice and Mary are like and I'm so happy that people can see this because they're just they're national treasures you know they're absolute national treasures Yeah they're fantastic I've seen the clip Archie was showing a clip of it I saw um of course, we still we still call her um, a biddy Mary. I, I saw her like running around, uh, frantically looking looking for love uh, for you. <laughs> well, actually, Crossy, was it hard being single during COVID? Yeah, it was. It was because you can't, you couldn't meet anybody. So I did a couple of Zoom dates uh, at the start of COVID, just because you know you were bored in your own in your house and you had nothing to do. So you'd be yeah, just chatting to people. And I know certain people did meet up with each other, but because you like of our jobs. We had to be on every day. So, the, you know, catching COVID was like, you weren't allowed to do anything. So I was doing all these Zoom dates. And I just got to the stage, was like, this is like an interview. You know, mm. it was like speed dating. And it was it was tough. And I know for, I know a couple of my friends now found it very hard because they're like, look, I'm 34, 35. Like, especially my, fr- my girlfriend. We're going, I'm 34, 35. I need to settle down. You know, I want to have kids. I mm. want to do this. I want to do that. And two years of their life have basically been taken out because they haven't been able to go to pubs. They haven't been able to meet people. And there's a lot to be said, you know, for to go to coppers or to go to a nightclub and stuff like that. There's a lot to be said for that. And that was all taken away. So, yeah, dating during COVID was very tried, yeah. yeah, we were talking about coppers earlier. They're open on Friday night. Will you be going? Do you know what? I am actually in Cork doing a gig on Friday night. My first gig in 18 months. I'm in Rochester Hotel. I do a thing called Bingo Loco. Get the plug in, yeah. Part of the jazz, is it? Yeah, yeah no, it's, no. no, this is just completely separate. Yeah, so we do these comedy gigs with bingo and music and all that. And I'm actually in Cork for, on Friday night. So it's actually going to be like, not, not emotional, but it's kind of, you know, it's been 18 months since we've been on stage, which yeah. has been mad. So and really have you ever Cork. looked for love here in Cork? This, do you know what? This could happen. I've never gone out out um, on a um, on a Friday night. Two of my friends, you know, the lads from the Young Offenders, they're always like, "Come down to Cork. There's loads of people down here." And I'm always gigging. So this weekend, 
um, going to be heading down. Hopefully seeing Alex as well. So. OK, Cork beware. Crossy is going out-out <laughs> on Friday night. Listen, enjoy it. We're looking forward to seeing it tonight. Thanks it's so half much. nine and it is on RT2. Perfect. Thank okay, you so thanks, much. Crossy. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Crossy from our sister station in Dublin's FM 104. Celebrity pulling with my parents starting tonight. 1850 We are looking for gardening questions, by the way, for uh, Peter Dowdle. If you have a gardening question, we'll sort out the problem that we had with George from the Hazel Tree. In, really interested in talking to George about the social dancing just to see if he can answer some of the many, many questions that are coming in, all coming up. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I've had a couple of uh, texts and WhatsApps in to do with the pedestrianisation, the trial that's been going on in uh, Mallow for the last four weeks. I think there's two weeks left to go. It's for six weeks. Street on the fleet. St- feet on the street is what the council have been uh, calling it. Jen says, just a message to say that as a mother of three, I found the feet on the street fantastic and bought a great atmosphere to the town. The kids are absolutely loving it. Great vibe. People are about. I usually avoid town at the weekend because to be honest I find it depressing I'm shocked that anyone would be against more business being brought around Mallow after Covid and all of the lockdowns and so on says Jen who says by the way while I was in town with the three children I also made purchases I went into the local toy shop World of Wonder I was in the coffee shop and I was also in one of the discounts stores safe to say I was happy to contribute to local businesses on the days that I was there that's from Jen thanks Jen and Cathy says on the feet on the street, I think it's added a great buzz to the town of Mallow. The quality of the music acts have been absolutely fantastic over the last four Saturdays. We as a family have actually made a special effort to go into town every Saturday since it started. Our children have really enjoyed it. We also bring our elderly parents along and they're enjoying it as well. There's something for everyone. Fair play to all involved for injecting a bit of life back into the town. That's from Cathy. And then there was another text in from Jer. She said, I'd really like to thank the council and the chamber for providing what I think is a fantastic initiative, Feet on the Street. I bought my whole family every Saturday that it's been on. Atmosphere and the entertainment was just what we needed after lockdown and the buzz in the town was electric. Everyone we met loved it and I hope it's something that they will consider for the town into the future. Brought, I felt, the community together. That's, uh, that's from Jur. And hi, regarding feet on the street in Mallow, I think it's fantastic. I live nearby and would normally never go into town on a Saturday, but I've been in town every Saturday for the last four weeks because of this festival atmosphere. The atmosphere is great. Everybody seems to be in good spirits and there seems to be a good buzz about the streets and in the shops. The street was going to be closed regardless, so why not make the best of it, which is what I feel the council has done. Okay, so that's uh, certainly that's the very opposite view to the business community that we heard about when Catherine joined us. Uh, Businesses are saying that they are down at revenue, but people who've attended the street and the fleet, feet on the street, why am I getting that so wrong? Certainly have enjoyed it. Thank you for that. Okay, Uh, apologies, we're having problems. We've been trying to get back on to George from the uh, Hazel Tree, but now his phone is ringing out, so I don't know what the problem is. So it doesn't look like we'll get to him today, but if he's available to talk to us tomorrow, I'd love to talk to him. Are indeed anybody else involved with organising social dancing because there are so many questions in about social dancing and so many comments in. Let me give you uh, some of the comments. Hi Patricia on social dancing where there's live 
music in bars. I'm sure there'll be an odd polka or an old time waltz dance. So what is the difference when it comes to social dancing? You can have nightclubs going on at the back of a venue, but yet you can't have people sitting at a bar and you can only have 10 sitting at a table. Uh, these rules are not making any sense to me at all. And that is from Mike. Hi, Patricia, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. This is from Michael. I'll give you just two examples of what I've seen as slippage in compliancy of late. I went to Mass last weekend and there was nobody sanitising the seats like they were doing up to now. I was also in my local super market and the staff were removing the social distancing measures for example the floor markings that to me is just two simple examples of changing what had been working I feel with figures numbers of COVID cases rising and nightclubs now to open on Friday and full capacity in places we are going to sink what is already a struggling health system I am certain we'll be back in lockdown in in no time at all if we continue the way we are going. We have very high vaccination rate but alone that is simply not going to uh, work and it's the fact that some of the vaccination protection is waning in people I think that that's also causing causing problems but the only thing we can take comfort from the majority of people who are doubly jabbed if they do get uh, COVID-19 the majority of them are certainly not very sick from it but but then you've got to protect the people who will become very sick from it uh, people with you know low immune systems immune compromised people with underlying health uh, conditions somebody else says Patricia can't understand why you can't go for a dance while social dancing to a live band yet you can have dancing inside a nightclub it's not making any sense to me also uh, other issues Patricia when you finish your 10 days isolating after having COVID-19 can you still pass it on Uh, no from what from anything I've read about it once you've done your 10 days after being diagnosed with COVID-19 you're good to go as long as you don't have symptoms if you still have symptoms, then obviously you've got to continue self-isolating. But if you've passed the the 10-day mark and you're feeling OK, then no, that seems to have been the, that's certainly the advice that they're giving at the moment. We've been talking about people trying to get into doctors, etc. Dennis said it's impossible to get to see a doctor at my local surgery. Equally impossible to get in to see a dentist. Oh, Dennis, don't start to me about dentists. We've dealt with that on many occasions on the programme. Dennis says yesterday a man that he's aware was in agony with the tooth egg. He was told by his dentist the earliest available appointment is the 28th of November. As regards having a GP, the way people say my GP has been with me all my life, you can forget about that one. Actually, there's a number of people picking up on that on the doctors. Somebody's, I think, makes a very interesting point to the people that are saying they can't get in to see their doctor. And remember, it started off with one of our listeners and she's trying to get in. Oh, it was Jim's wife is trying to get in to see her GP because she was at hospital and she wants to discuss the results and she's in a lot of pain and she's been home six weeks. She'd have to wait to see her GP. But if she's waiting to see a junior doctor, she can get in in three days time. Somebody's picking up on that and said, do you know that there are about 700 GPs who are due to retire 
in the next few months. Tell Jim's wife she needs to get used to seeing a junior doctor because that's the way it's going to be. There is going to be a big, big problem replacing these doctors. And it has been like that for the last number of years in rural areas when a doctor decides to retire. There has been lots of problems with trying to get a GP to replace them. We've had a problem for quite a number of years in not training enough GPs. So we certainly do need to... uh, look at that. Okay, morning Patricia you mentioned funerals and marriages and the numbers attending mass. There's no limit now anymore. Well, is it not a contradiction? They're saying there is now no limit on the number of people going to a funeral or going into a marriage ceremony but yet you still have to social distance when you're at the church. (laughs) It's all a bit of a joke. These are the anomalies that they are uh, talking about for sure and that's why there's still a lot of talk going on at the moment and I know the Department of Arts and Culture are having negotiations today with nightclubs and indoor gig people who organise indoor events to try to work out they need new guidelines they all need new guidelines so listen what we're saying today could be completely different Tomorrow, or could be completely different on Friday. What about changing rooms and shops uh, like Duns and Tesco's, says a listener. Are they going to open our changing rooms inside in boutiques? I take it that that's going to be an individual choice on behalf of each of the stores. So I would check in with the store where you want to try something on and find out if they're allowing people to use the dressing rooms or not. Hi, Patricia. I feel the government are slipping things through now that all the talk this morning is about the opening up of the country. Did you know that the grant for hybrid cars is gone? I did and we actually mentioned it yesterday when we were speaking with Bob Flavin who has that online petition to try to give motorists a break. We we spoke about it there that the grant for hybrid cars uh, is gone and also says this lister it, it, they have now passed legislation making it legal for e-scooters and e-bikes to be on roads. One wonders will they have to pay insurance? Now I know I was speaking to John Paul in the office before I came on air this morning And we are trying to see if we can do something about the e-scooters and the e-bikes because that listener is right. Legislation was passed uh, yesterday, making them legal to travel on the uh, roads. Back to dancing at nightclubs. What about holding hands when you're dancing, says this listener. Will that be allowed? Somebody else says, is mass and weddings, are they exempt from vaccine certs? Um, I don't think they're exempt from vaccine certs because we are told that all religious services and weddings can proceed without capacity limits, but with all other protective measures remaining in place. And when you look at what are all other protective measures remaining in place, protective measures remaining in place includes a wide and robust implementation of the EU digital COVID search. So do I take it from that they're going to be looking at COVID certs for mass and for or for other religious ceremonies and uh, weddings and social distancing and mask wearing remains uh, in place. And somebody else says, Patricia, we just need to open up. I'm getting really fed up of all of this. We've had five weddings called off in uh, for the second year running. Uh, they've been called off. Well, the good news, if you've been invited to five weddings, you be, should be going to those five weddings soon. Well, that's allowing for the couples being able to get a venue uh, because all of the, re- the restrictions around the numbers attending weddings has been lifted. And that's one of the main reasons that people called off a wedding was because they weren't able to have the numbers that they wanted to attend. So those your five weddings, get your dancing shoes and your hat ready if you're a female. 
If not your suit and your dancing shoes, you'll be gone soon. 1850 333 lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Tomorrow is International Credit Union Day and as part of the day, Rathmore and District Credit Union are going to have a coffee cart in the main office. Proceeds from the coffee cart will go to the Air Ambulance Service in Rathcool and they'll be selling coffees from 10.30 to 3pm. The Mallow Women's Shed, better known as Loose Women, they're planning to reopen after the relaxation of restrictions. They meet on Thursday mornings, 10am to 12 in the Mallow Mercy Centre. You're invited to come along for a cuppa and bring along any craft that you have, like knitting, crochet, embroidery. More information from 087 687 2206. The Ballet de Hob Thrashing and Vintage Car Run. That's been cancelled this week end and that's due to the national rise in COVID cases and Castletown Bear Development Association. They have announced their drive-in bingo that was due to be held in Castletown Bear. This Friday night has also been cancelled and they're asking people to please keep an eye out on social media for a new date. But the annual Fort to Fort cycle in aid of the Mercy Hospital Foundation in Cork City and the County Line Club and Candom Fort Mar Restoration will take place on Saturday next, starting from Candom Fort uh, in Crosshaven. With four routes to choose from, there's sure to be something for everyone. You can get more information on www.forttofort.ie. Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, several families have come forward to say they first learned their baby's organs had been sent abroad for incineration with clinical waste by Cork University Maternity Hospital from an RTE Investigates report which aired last month. Aoife Hegarty from Primetime Investigates once again joins me on the programme. Uh, good afternoon to you Aoife. Good afternoon Patricia. Now Aoife your report last night was just truly jaw dropping to think families would have to find out through watching your TV programme or looking on social social media just truly shocking just remind us what families told you who contacted you following the airing of the It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. PROGRAM. So, well, back in that report last month, Patricia, you know, we showed that very clearly HSE guidelines state that when organs are retained at post-mortem stage, they should only be disposed of in one of two ways, by burial or cremation. And I think people were horrified when they realised that the organs of these 18 babies had been sent for incineration without their parents' knowledge. Now, at the time of our report last month, the HSE, CUH and CUMH said all 18 families had been contacted last May as part of an open disclosure process. And that included initial phone calls where they were informed of what were what had happened and they had got an apology and access to support services. And those phone calls were then supposed to be followed by registered letters. However, since our report, Patricia, we've been in contact with a further five families, all of whom contradict this. In fact, as you say there, the first they learned of exactly what had happened, the organs of their babies, was when they watched our report. Now, there are people like Katie Quilligan, who listeners may have seen last night. Her baby son James died at 24 weeks in January last year at CUMH. Kitty consented to a post-mortem and she agreed that baby James's organs could be used for medical research in order to help other babies. But her wish was that when that process was complete, that James's organs would be buried at CUMH's Garden of the Angels plot. And until recently, that's what she believed had, had happened. Now, she did get a phone call from the hospital last May, but she says incineration was never mentioned as part of that call. She got a further call on the night before our report, but again, she maintains there was no mention of the fact that baby James's organs were sent to a facility in Belgium to be incinerated. And in fact, it was only when she saw reports about our programme online that the picture began to emerge for her of exactly what had happened. Shocking way to find out. And then the the poor, the young Polish couple, I mean, you can't even say it was lost in translation because the mother in question, her English wasn't great. so She wasn't understanding what was being said to her. Yeah, Daniel and Alexander Schnitzer are a Polish couple, but they live in Cork and they lost their little boy, Oliver, who died at 22 weeks in September 2019 at CUMH. Now, last May, Alexandra, just like Katie, got a phone call from CUMH. But as you said, because her English isn't fluent, she didn't understand what she was being told. She got a second call again on the evening before our report, but she was left totally confused. 
In fact, she came off that phone call and she actually apologised to her husband, Daniel, saying that she didn't know what the report was going to be about, but she had just been told to watch primetime. In fact, it fell to another affected parent to tell the Schnitzers exactly what had happened when they tracked down Leona Birmingham, who featured in our original report. They tracked her down on Facebook, sent her a message, and it was actually her that tried to explain to them what had happened. And then the rest became apparent when they tuned in and watched our report. It's just, it's so, so uh, sad for, for those p- those poor parents because they're grieving uh, anyway. And I mean, it's, your report has far-reaching uh, effects as well because you, 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 got, you were contacted from Australia. Yeah, one of the 18 families affected is a couple from Cork, but they currently live in Australia. Um, Their baby daughter was stillborn at 25 weeks in CUMH in November 2019. Now, they too also got a call last May, but it was not explained to them at that point that their baby's organs had been incinerated. And in fact, they came away from that call, Patricia, thinking that its purpose was about an entirely different matter. They got another call on the morning of our report last um, month, but again, it didn't clearly explain the subject matter. And ultimately, they learned what had happened, their little baby girl's organs, on social media. The couple, they're saying they feel like they've been treated horrifically with a total lack of respect and completely miscommunicated too. It has opened up really raw wounds for them. And mm. I think that's just been made worse by the fact that they're very far away from family. In, yeah, they're, they're in Australia and God help them. They've no, they haven't even got a way of jumping on a plane and, and coming home and not being able to have that support. It's, it's just dreadful. So you contacted the hospital again, Aoife. And what did they say to you this time? Well, the South South West Hospital Group um, and CUH and CUMH have reiterated their apology to the 18 families, saying they're truly sorry for any additional distress the incident has caused. Um, They're saying that it's HSE policy not to comment on individual cases, but they did say that the phone calls made to the affected families last May were made by experienced clinical bereavement specialists who categorically confirmed that all families were informed incineration of the organs had occurred but that that was not what the service had given them to expect would would happen which was that the organs were to be buried but Patricia that statement does also concede that the families were not told during those calls where the incinerations had taken place. And the original family who you who featured so much on your first um, report, Aoife, uh, uh, Leona and Glenn, have you been in contact with them? I was thinking of them last night thinking, oh no, this is all coming up again for them as well. Yes, it is. But it's amazing that many of the families that we have spoken to for, for last night's report actually praise the efforts of Leona and Glenn and very much feel that if they hadn't taken that brave step of stepping out, that they may not um, be in as much knowledge as they currently have at this moment in time. Yeah, they're very, very brave indeed. And listen, well done to you. It's another great uh, report. And if people didn't uh, get to see it, it is available on the RTE player. That's uh, RTE Investigates on Prime Time. Uh, Aoife, listen, thank you for that and thanks for taking time out to talk to us today. 
Thanks, Patricia. Uh, good afternoon to you. Aoife Hegarty there from Primetime RTE Investigates. And our heart goes out to each and every one of those families that were affected again by that story, particularly. I know that they're not listening to us, but uh, the couple in, in Australia, um, God help them. I mean, I really thought about them when, you know, getting that phone call when they were so far away and then obviously not able to watch the programme and then discovering um through social media they were finding out what was being revealed in, in the programme and they, they, they said we now have to once again relive the pain and grief of losing a child only this time it's worse and we are in a very dark place thinking of her little body in Dunmanway and her organs or any part of our baby girl being in a rubbish tip after being incinerated in Belgium as clinical waste and to make it harder as parents were stuck in a foreign country in lockdown with no family or support network around us to help us through these hard times. God help them. God help them. Listen, uh, and once again, thanks to Eva Hegarty. 1850-333-103. I can see a number of questions coming through for Peter, our resident uh, gardener. Keep those coming, please. We're going to join Peter in just a moment. And still getting in texts, I have to say, about the feet on the street and the event that's been in Mallow for the last four Saturdays. Somebody else saying it's the these these Saturday events have been the best yet in Mallow Town. Lots of people around the town have loved it. I went in every single Saturday. I want to say well done to everyone, particularly to Keith. It's Keith Woodgate, isn't it? I think he's responsible for organising the the entertainment side of it. So lots of people very, very happy with it. Okay, let's take a break and we're back talking with Peter. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMI this is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And Peter Dowdell, the IrishGardener.com, uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I, I'm very well. We've been talking about what incredibly mild weather we've had. Now, the rain is on, is, has arrived and certainly the cold weather has, has, is starting to arrive. More normal temperatures for this time of year. But it's been incredible for the month of October, hasn't it? I mean, 19 degrees yesterday. Uh, like even there when you're saying, and now the cold weather is beginning to... It's not cold yet. It's far from it, like considering we're the 20th of October. And it's, yeah, it's like, as you say, it's been 19 and 20 regularly for the last week. Uh, and yeah, I, it, I don't know what to say. It's just like the things like, and it's bulb planting season, but I, just a note of caution to people. I wouldn't be planting spring flowering bulbs like tulips and daffodils and all those kind of things. I wouldn't be planting them yet because they're just... The, the, bulb won't know, the bulb will think it's spring with these temperatures, so you want to hold off. Uh, it's going to also lead to things like uh, spring flowering plants flowering now, if you like. So so some rhododendrons and camellias, I've already seen a couple of them, and magnolias, you'll see them throwing up blooms now, totally at the wrong time of the year, but they, they think it's springtime, believe yeah, it or not. Yeah, yeah, Listen, yeah but we, we'll, we'll take the mild weather for as long as we can get it for sure. OK, let's go straight yeah. into uh, questions. I have a gristlinia hedge, two years old, two feet tall, set in two different places. Uh, but the other one on the other side is four feet tall. What is wrong? Why would one only go to two feet and one has gone to four feet? It's a difficult question to answer specifically, obviously, because I haven't seen it and I don't know the garden. But the, like general uh, answers to that would be the environment. So uh, the environment could be like, is it more exposed to the wind? And I suspect one of these things, if not all, will be true. So is it more exposed to the wind, the one that's lower? So it's being what's called wind pruned. 
Uh, the soil might be slightly worse. It might be it might be a better soil in the good area and in, in the area that's doing well. Uh, and the third thing is it might be less sunny. So sunlight, wind, and soil. So they're environmental factors that you'd look at. Um, if there's nothing, if there's no sign of disease or disorder of the plant, then you, you, you wouldn't worry. It's just some environmental factor. And if there is browning or any sign of disease on the, on the leaf, but they don't say that, so I imagine there isn't. But if there was, then it could be something else, obviously. But if it's just that it's, it's, it seems fine and green and healthy, but it's just growing at a, sm- a lower rate, a, a, a slower rate, well, then it's an environmental factor. In fact, I was down at a a beautiful site there recently down uh, in Crossaven, right on the Atlantic Ocean, and lovely Grisselinia hedge uh, on one of the boundaries. But it's about, I don't know how many years it is, but it should be much bigger than what it is. But it's a really thick, healthy hedge, but it's not half as high as what it should be, and that's just because it's exposed Where it to, is. to the wind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Marie in Kilbritton has a six-year-old maple acer tree with purple leaves. For the last month, the leaves are covered in what she describes as a silver-white coating, which doesn't rub off. Most of the leaves, which she says were a bit sparse this year, have fallen off. Any advice on what it could be and how to prevent it in the future? Yeah, well, it it could be, and it sounds to me like it's it's very possibly a type of mildew, um, or some so, some similar fungal infection. That's most likely what it is. <coughs> now, with an acer, they're deciduous, and when it comes to deciduous uh, trees and shrubs and leaf problems, I'm, I I never I never panic because um, while while it is suffering, it has some kind of a disease. It is going to drop its leaves, so. Uh, and the important thing then is to remove the leaves. Like that's not to say you, you you need to dump them anywhere else, but just to remove them away from that tree so those fungal spores don't get back into the root system. You can certainly compost them and turn them into leaf mold. I wouldn't be too worried about that. Um, but uh, uh, so they're going to come off. So I wouldn't take any action now. So come next spring, say March, April time, with what we call bud burst, which is when those dormant leaf buds spring back into action and the whole thing starts again. The magic comes up from the soil and the leaves come out and it all goes again. Well, at that time. Uh, and this is the this is the wonder of gardening. You can't give a specific date to it. It might be the start of April. It might be the end of April, depending on temperatures. Um, that's the time to give it a drench with the the my go-to for for these leaf problems, which is the copper sulfate. So a, a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water at that time of the year when the first leaves are opening, uh, drench it with copper sulfate mixed with water. The the plant, the acer, and the the soil around it. The only the only thing to bear in mind here is don't do it on a very very sunny day because it could scorch the plant. But a normal kind of a, a normal Irish day, dare I say, you should be fine. Uh, and then you're preventing it. The, the, the copper sulfate works as a, a broad spectrum organic fungicide. Um, so it offers a good range of cover. It's much easier to prevent plants like this getting sick in the first place than it is to try and fix it when they get it. So for now, I would do nothing. Just remove any of the diseased leaves once they fall uh, and in the spring uh, treat it. Okay, and Marie from Kilbritton also says, would you have any advice on how to stop birds slash rabbits from rooting up recently planted bulbs? Would birds root up recently planted bulbs? Yeah, they would, certainly would, they oh. certainly would. So, <coughs> yeah, uh, it's a particular problem with things like onion sets, as you can imagine, Trish. Uh, they, and they probably don't like the onions, they just go out out of curiosity. Um, so if you're doing something like onions, and I'm not suggesting that you would necessarily do this with your bulbs, because it probably won't be practical, but you could suspend a net a bit above them. Uh, and as, But obviously enough, that probably won't be practical in this solution, particularly if bulbs are, are through existing planting. Um so the birds are more of a problem. The the rabbits, you, you you have a few a few weapons in the arsenal if you want to call them that. Uh, in that mowed grass, so the grass clippings that you collect in the the bucket on your lawnmower, if you put them around the, the, on top of where you've planted the bulbs, 
the rabbits won't go near it because obviously rabbits will feed on grass but they won't feed on mowed grass because it's too dense and it'll choke them they can't digest it and they're away they know that so their instinct tells them not to so they stay away from it so that would fix do you know what i was saying that would fix the rabbits but i'm not sure about the birds but of course that'll help with the birds as well because the birds won't see the bulbs Mm. so uh, i would say just get some grass mowings put them over it uh, but the important thing is don't put it too heavy. You don't, don't want too much of it because it'll lead to, you know, lawn mowings. If you put them down too heavy, they just turn into a sodden mass. And you don't want that either. So just maybe about an inch of lawn mowings across on top of them. And that should help. Rose wants to plant a box hedge. But people are saying, oh, don't get box hedge. It'll get blight. And now is not the right time at the moment. Advice, please. Well, box hedge is susceptible, obviously, to box blight. Um, however there's a couple of things i would say i wouldn't i wouldn't let that stop me planting it absolutely not uh, because if it gets box blight it's quite treatable all right it was it was when it when it first hit the it came on the scene about 20 years ago now it was thought to be the end of box hedging and you can imagine particularly in england trish with all their the, the great gardens if you like and the the formal gardens with the box hedging and their yeah, box balls yeah they're famous for a them. lot of them yeah and a lot of them were wiped out um, and the fear was they'd all be wiped out. But as time has gone on, um, and as we're, we're all experts now on kind of disease control and, and things like that, but as time has gone on, uh, it has built up, number one, a certain resistance to the blight, but also there are the copper sulfate, which I mentioned earlier, is proving very effective in the treatment of it. And there's a thing called top buxus, which is a, another treatment for it, which is very, very effective. So uh, it's all about keeping it healthy in the first place. It is susceptible to box blight, but I certainly wouldn't let that stop me yeah, planting them. Just you, be careful that you, you get clean plants day one. Particularly wanted. Sheila has a problem with black spots on her patio. What would you recommend to remove black spots on a patio? I, I, I would refer that one to my, my, my old friend Gerard Doody, who we've mentioned many times in your programme, Trish, Back yeah. to Black. He's yeah. up there in, 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 in North Cork. And he, he, he will, when it comes to markings on patios and things like that, He's as opposed man. to me suggesting something that might corrode the stone, depending on what it is. I know there is Algon, which I think is an Irish product, which is an algicide and it's organic. Um, that, that may work, but I would certainly get on to, to Back to Black and ask for his advice. Yeah, Anne, I think, has a common problem. She wants, she wants to know when she should cut back her roses. The problem is she'd normally be doing them around now, but there's roses still on them. And she says she can even see a few more still coming out. And a lot of people are saying the same thing. Well, that's not a problem, Anne. Enjoy them. Enjoy the yeah. rose blooms as they bring you into November, maybe even December. Enjoy them. Uh, your window for cutting them back is really any time from now until the end of February. I do like to have mine done before the end of February in case we get a spurt of new growth in March. Um, but that leaves you a few months. So absolutely, I would leave them on. Enjoy the blooms that are there now uh, and cut them back whenever we, the, the, the temperatures drop significantly and there's no more flowers. Mike in Bantry has, is it Astelia? Astelia Silver Spear. He has three of them. He said, I'm living in a microclimate surrounded by trees in West Cork. Do I need to use fleece netting to protect them in the wintertime? I'm I'm going to hesitate. I am hesitating, as you can see, before I answer that. I'm I'm going to say probably not, but I mean, probably as a qualified because it depends on how cold it gets and how low the temperatures drop so and and how how protected he is in this microclimate um so you know they're not that tender they are a bit tender but like normal irish winter even if it got to minus three four and five i would expect them to be fine if we get a you know an extreme like the beast from the east or what we got in 2010 when it hit minus 19 uh, then obviously you, you need to protect everything 
Uh, but in a normal Irish winter, and if you're protected enough with the trees, I would say you should be safe enough. But if we're getting specific nights or specific period of time where it's going less than minus five or something like that, I would put fleece around them in that instance, yes. Helen ha- wants to know about her geraniums. They're out in pots outside her back door. Can she leave them out for the winter? She has what she describes as a good wide perspect carport. Or should she be bringing them into the garage for the winter months? I would say the carport would be absolutely perfect. All they need is some physical protection from the frost and the roof of the carport would give them that. Um, they're, they're frost tender, a lot of these pelargoniums or geraniums, the, which means if we get a serious frost, it'll kill them. I'm, I'm a lazy gardener, Trish, in that uh, my geraniums stay out year after year and my frost tender fuchsias tend to stay out year after year. Uh, um, and they... You know, nine years out of ten, they'd come on. I'm always taking cuttings of them, so I always have new ones ready to go anyway. Uh, but uh, the, the, the answer to the question is the carport should be fine. Therese has peppers growing in her port. Well done, Therese. Will they grow away throughout the winter, she wants to know? No, you should be, they should be harvestable now. Uh, and the, the, that'll, once they've given you the harvest, then that's it. And then Mary, who's, who describes herself as some of the Wild West, says, Hi, Peter. I've successfully rooted hydrangea and Chilean lantern. I've potted them up individually now and don't know if I can leave them outside or do I need to put them in during the winter months. Enjoy listening to your slot every week. Mary from well, the Wild you, West. Mary from the Wild West, yeah, yeah. Um, I know a few Marys from the Wild West. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? The, the hydrangea slips would be absolutely fine outside. No problem at all. Uh, and like we need to trust nature. We need to leave a lot of things to nature. I was actually talking with Dahi on the Today Show recently and about bulbs and he was saying, should I keep them in once I've planted the pot full of them? And I said, no, you, you know, trust in nature. It'll be fine. Leave them outside. So the hydrangeas will be fine as well. The Chilean, um, what did she call the Chilean... Chilean, where's it gone now? Um, lantern, was Lantern, it? yeah, Chilean lantern. Yeah, you see, see, it depends, because that's a common name, there's a few things that that could be. So it could be Embothrium, which is the Chilean flame tree, or it could be, uh, what is it, Crinodendron, which is uh, called the Chinese lantern tree. So depending on which one it is, if it's the Embothrium, you might want to be a bit careful uh, if it was getting cold. If it's the Crinodendron, I'd say you'd be absolutely fine. So my gut would tell Mary in the Wild West to leave them all out for the winter and they should be fine. But if it is going to get very, very cold, maybe have a roll of fleece to hand just to put over over the, the, Chilean, flame, the Chilean lantern ones. OK, all right, we'll leave it there. Listen, enjoy your week and we'll chat next week. Thanks, Trish. Talk okay, then. Thanks. Take care. That is uh, Peter Dowdell, theirishgardener.com. So that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 on to the Lamp Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Stay safe. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.